0: have a Bible. Turn with me, if you will, please, to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11. I have greatly enjoyed worshiping together today and having an opportunity to see faces. We continue on with our study here in Hebrews chapter 11. And it's the passage of Scripture now where we look specifically at the life of Moses. We've had all these examples put before us such that a lot of scholars will look at the chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews as the hall of fame of faith of all these greats that have gone before us and lived this life of faith and in a sea of all the people that did not get it and did not live the way God intended them to live in ancient Israel. There were some within the midst of all that that absolutely nailed it. And the author of Hebrews holds them up before us and says, my brothers and sisters, this is what it's supposed to look like right here. So... Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 23 through verse number 29 today. Let's read together. Here's what the Bible says. By faith, Moses, when he was born, he was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, when he became of age... I love this. Listen to this. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to esteem the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, and he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith... They passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, how we need you. Every single hour, we need you. We need you in death. And yet, Lord, as we live and as we age, we, it becomes clearer to us that we even more so need you in life in the passing of days and in the events that surround us. We need you. We need you to walk with us, to uphold us, to give us strength. We need you to guide us and give us wisdom. We need you to give our hearts and our minds rest and comfort. And Father, we need your provision at every, every turn. Lord, help us to learn there's so many here today, so many even watching today that have known you for so long, that have aged well in Christ, and yet, Father, there's still so much for us to learn, and there's so much need that we have of you. So, Father, help us today as we hear from your Word, as we lean into this text, God, help us to see very clearly. And God, may your Spirit be at work in us to produce in us the, the faith of trust and obedience that is vital and essential to the life of a believer. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm not the oldest man in the world. I know that. I know that there are plenty older than me, more mature than me, more seasoned than me. That's obvious. I know. But as I have come the distance, I have come. As I have grown to the point that I am today, and with every passing year, and with every passing accomplishment and with every new title and every new set of responsibilities. I've grown up and gotten older. As all of those things about human life have happened to me where I'm aging and I'm growing in wisdom and I'm adulting and I'm doing all of those things, as an aging man now, as I age, And it's obvious to me that both my body and my mind do indeed exactly that. The cry of my heart as I age is that I would regain the simplicity of the mind of a child. That though I would age, I would be ever young in this sense. As I said to you at the opening of this series in chapter 11... There's something beautiful about children when it comes to faith, right? Jesus would often point at the little children and he'd say, now you better be like these people. Unless you can be like one of these little children, you can't come into my kingdom. Well, what does that mean? I mean, there's so many different things about children that just don't work for a normal life, right? I mean, they're irresponsible. They can't even make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for crying out loud. They constantly make messes and break things and do all sorts of glorious, wonderful things. But it's not suited for good flow of life. So what is it about the little child that Jesus points to? It's very simple. For a child, there is a simple trust and obedience that comes for a parent. Now, they don't always obey, but when they do, they hear words from their parents when there's fear or when they're scared and a parent can comfort them and say it's going to be okay and you know what the world may be burning down around them but because the parent looks at them and says it's going to be okay there's a rest and a trust that now comes there's an obedience that follows right we need you to come with us and they do children they just have this magical way of doing that And that is what Jesus is pointing to for us. That no matter how you age and no matter who you have become, at the end of the day, the life of faith is about trust and obedience. And that's why he pointed to the children. I I start off today because when I look at the life of Moses, now when it's describing the events of his life, it starts with his birth and pretty much goes all the way through his, his decades and decades of life. And what you see is a person who does exactly that. Though he gets older and older and older with every passing day and with every passing year, Moses comes to the place of just trust and obedience. Just like we've seen with Abraham, trust and obedience. And so, yet again, we have this picture before us of what faith is going to look like. And as we age, we should never be too proud, prideful or arrogant to think that we don't still need to learn those lessons about what faith looks like. And so, may we come this morning asking that question, what does faith look like? What does faith look like in the Bible? And what does faith look like for us right now in 2020? Well, a couple things real quick. Number one. By faith, we are told that Moses' family resisted evil forces and were protected. Look at verse number 23. It says, By faith, when Moses was born, he was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful, and watch this, and they were not afraid of the king. Exodus chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, we're told this from the Scriptures. And the man's house was Levi, went and he took his wife's daughter, Levi. And so the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that the child was beautiful, she hid him three months. But we can no long, when he could no longer hide him, she took an ark of, of uh, bulrushes for him and, and daubed them with asphalt and pitch and put the child in it and laid it in the reeds by the river bank. Now, there's a lot of faith that goes on here. Faith number one, because ultimately the king had commanded all these children to be killed. And yet the parents of Moses saw that he was beautiful and did not fear the king, and so they hid him. But then when he's squealing now, because he's three months old, and making a ruckus, they make a little, basically a little trough, and they craft it, and they seal it, and they put it in the riverbed. This would be in the Nile. Now this is why this takes a lot of faith. You know anything about the Nile other than the fact that it's really, really big? There are a lot of crocodiles in the Nile. Okay, so you can imagine this tasty little morsel just floating around on the water right there for all the gators to come and eat them. And so there's a tremendous amount of faith. We're told that this is Jochebed and Miriam and, and uh, Siphora and, and Pua and all of these folks that have played this essential role in preserving Moses in this. And so what do, you, what do we say about faith? Number one. Faith is the kind of thing, just like Moses' family, that enables you to stand up against the evil and not fear it. Brothers and sisters, don't we need that today? I mean, again, as I said during the opening of all of this, look, there there are forces at play that constantly try to pull us. They're like riptides. You know, you go to the beach and you, you, you see the waves crashing in and you see the foamy part and it looks rough. And a parent says, don't go to that part because it's rough. Go to this part because it's smooth. And that's actually the worst possible place that you could put a child. Because there the currents are pulling that child back out and there's no hope whatsoever. Our culture is that today. There are riptides that tear the people of God apart and a nation apart. And meanwhile, we have an example before us of what faith and obedience looks like. And we are called to cleave to it and to live within it. And so number one, I want you to see that by faith his family resisted evil forces. Number two, by faith they gained a heavenly reward. Verse number 24 through really verse number uh, 26 here. Notice what it says here. By faith they gain a heavenly reward. By faith it says when Moses became of age, roughly around the age of 40, he refuses to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now you remember the story here. It's ultimately Pharaoh's daughter who discovers little Moses, that tasty little morsel in the Nile, and she takes him in and pleads with her father, Papa, let me keep him. He's cute. And he agrees. And as a result, Moses grows up in Pharaoh's house, The house of the king itself. He's favored, he's doted on, he's provided for, he lives in the lap of luxury and power and fame. He literally has it all. He has everything that the world could offer him. And the Bible says when he became of age, the age where he begins to realize who Pharaoh is and who Pharaoh's not, that he's not really God, there's a turning away. He defends the Israelite. He kills the Egyptian and has to run now. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, there's something to be said there in that little phrase. By Moses, when he came of age, there was a point in his life where his faith became precisely that, his faith, not somebody else's. And when that happened, notice the result. In that moment, he refuses to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. What an identity he had. What an opportunity he had. What provision and joy and pleasure he had. And he says no to all of it. There's a couple things about this. There's the forsaking of luxury, verse 21. Verse 25, there's the enduring of hardship. Watch this. He refuses to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And it's one thing to say no to the pleasures of sin and the luxuries of this world. And then just go live a little meek, modest life on your own and go about your business with no worries whatsoever. But that's not how it panned out for Moses. No, not only did he lose all the posh stuff, Moses would gain turmoil. Watch this. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, verse 25, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of God. Of sin. Read that again. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Listen, what do you see here? You see this. To follow Christ, to trust, and to obey means more simply than there are some things that I really, really like that I have to let go of. But there may be even an addition to that, some other things. Let me pause here, though, to just really unpack that first part. To follow Christ means there might indeed be some things that I have to let go of. Hey, let me ask you this question. What things in your life do you currently need to let go of? What kinds of things? Maybe they're physical objects. Maybe they're relationships. Maybe they're dispositions of mind, ways that you just want to see the world, but it's contrary to the Word of God. But you're going to fight for it and fight for it. No. What things in your life do you currently need to let go of? And let's be honest with each other. It's not like this is a one-time thing in the life of a believer. We tend to treat it that way, right? Well, I wasn't a Christian, and then I came to faith, and I turned from my sin, as I described earlier. And we think of this letting go of the things that we should let go of as something we had to do in the past when we first came to Christ. Well, Listen, man, I've been a Christian for 25 years, and I've learned this over 25 years. I have to do that every single day. I have to do that every single day. Why? Because still, though He has redeemed me, and though He's washed me clean, and though indeed He's done tremendous work in my life, it's not yet finished. And because it's not yet finished, there's still things I want that I shouldn't want. There's still things that I want to give myself to that I can't give myself to. And so in the life of a believer, you have to let go of some things, don't you? What things in your life right now You just need to let go of. That's part one. It's harder than that, though, right? Listen to this. Choosing, uh, he, he refuses to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, 20, verse 24, 25. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. In addition to letting go of some things that we really want to hang on to. Look, we know this from Old Testament all the way throughout the New Testament. To follow Christ is not just to let go of some things that I want to hang on to that are really nice and comfortable and safe for me, but it's even the worst to now take on something negative. There's a hardship, there's a turmoil, there's a difficulty, there's a struggle, there's a persecution that now I may have to absorb. It's one thing, yes, I've got to let go of the things that are comfortable to me and that I most want to hang on to, even though they may be contrary to God. But I've also got to be willing to take my lumps for Jesus. Listen, if you're going to really be faithful to Christ, if you're really going to be obedient to Him, then you can count on this. Jesus said, if they hated me, they'll hate you. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. And Jesus calls the believer to this life take up your cross and follow me many were saying to him on his in his life on earth teacher we want to follow you yeah Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. That's an odd response. What's he mean? He's saying this, you think following me is about coming in my footsteps and having the life of luxury and pleasure and all those things. There were plenty of people that thought that. James and John thought that. Teacher, we want to sit on your right hand and your left hand in glory. There's a lot of people that get into God because they think there's something in it for them in their life. Hey, how about this? Maybe what's in it for you is death. Maybe what's in it for you is difficulty. Maybe what's in it for you is to be destroyed. Can I be shooting straight with you for a minute? When I took the job at at I thought to myself, you know, it seems to me like God is doing one of two things. He's either bringing me here to build something and there'll be something great, or He's bringing me here to destroy me. The question I had to genuinely struggle with, am I prepared to do that? I'm obviously prepared to do the first one because that's nice and poshy and, ooh, look at me. <laughs> Big stuff, man. Am I willing to die? Am I willing to be destroyed? Am I willing to be, have people rip me apart every single day? That is the life of a believer. Moses says this, you know what? I've got all this luxury in, in Egypt, but I'd refuse to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I forsake all that that's posh, and I choose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. Why? Well, watch this. Than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. We're so gullible. We're so stinking gullible. When it comes to our sin, we take the bait every single time. Ooh, something shiny, and we grab it. And we're hooked. And we're lured in, and we're reeled in, and we're caught in a trap. That is sin. Every time, all the time, universally, that is sin. It does it all the time. Sin is death. It always breeds destruction. Maybe not today, but at some point it will. Sin, by its very nature, is fleeting pleasure. I'm not doubting that it gives a pleasure... I mean, there's a reason people go out and get hammered. There's a reason people do drugs. There's a reason people cheat on their spouse and all sorts of other things. There's a re- there is a pleasure. But it's like this. It's the satisfaction of a thirsty person who drinks ocean water. Sure, absolutely. There's a moment that it quenches the thirst. But then... You come back even more thirsty, even more dehydrated, even more in need. So what do they do? They drink more of it, and the the hole gets deeper and stronger. Look, that's, that's the nature of sin. And Moses realizes it. Yeah, there's a pleasure in Pharaoh's court, but it is a passing pleasure, not a lasting pleasure. Watch verse 26. He's choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than enjoy the passing pleasure of sin. Moses, why would you do that? Verse number 26, look at this. Because he could esteem the reproach of Christ. Catch that. He could esteem not just identification with Christ, yes. No, to esteem reproach of Christ. To esteem means to count as valuable. He's counting as valuable... The reproach of Christ. In other words, the scorn and the scoffing that Christ endured. The hardships, the afflictions, the martyrdom, the crucifixion, the yelling, the mocking, the spitting, the thorns, the spear, the flogging, all of that. The reproach of Christ. He esteems it. Moses esteems it as something valuable. He esteems the reproach of Christ to be of greater riches than all the treasures in Egypt. Wow. Moses, what, what can we say of Moses here? Simply this Moses had eyes to see. He, right? I mean, he had the ability to look past the shiny surface of things and estimate things for their real value and worth. That the stuff in this life that charms us and consumes us is flimsy, weak, and temporal. But to identify with Christ, even if in the here and now there's a hardship and a difficulty and a sorrow, oh, that is valuable. Valuable. That is worth gold. Why? Because he could look to a reward. It's it's exactly like he's described it in in chapter 11, verse 13 through verse number 16, the last passage of Scripture I I read to you. They, They confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on this earth, and they declare it plainly that they seek after a homeland. They're looking for something better and greater. The Apostle Paul talks about this. Philippians chapter 3, verse number 7 through verse number 11, he said it this way What things were gained to me, and by the way, what were those? There were all a lot. Paul had position, he had power, he had influence, he had titles, he had luxury. What things were gained to me, listen to this, I have counted them lost for Christ. I'll get rid of all of those things. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have su- he has, he has suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish. The King James translates that as dung. Dung. In other words, here's what, here's what Paul's saying. All the great esteem of this world and all the things that the world sees as valuable and good to be sought after and cleaved to and hang on to for dear life, whatever you do, don't let go of this stuff. All the stuff that the world thinks that way about is fecal matter. I could be more crass. I won't. Because I think you get the point. It is rubbish. Garbage. I count it all lost. In other words, what he's saying, simply put, is I will get rid of everything in my life. I'll spend it all for this one simple thing. That I might gain Christ. It is a greater honor when it's all said and done to be found empty, and poor, and famished, but have Christ, than to die with everything this world could give you accolades with. I count it all as rubbish that I may gain Christ, be found in Him... Not having a righteousness which is from the law, but rather have that righteousness which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I might know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. That I might be conformed to His death. What in the world has happened to Paul? What could ever cause a person to think this way? I would rather get rid of everything this world can throw at me and charm me with, and I just want to die the way Christ died. Did you see it? Did you hear about it? Why would anybody want that? Because they want Christ. And they know the reward that Christ is for them. He says, I will do this if by any means I may attain the resurrection of the dead. That, my brothers and sisters, is faith. Faith is the kind of thing that will cause you to stand up against evil. Faith is the kind of thing that will cause you to look for a heavenly reward. Last of all, faith is the kind of thing... That will give redemption. By faith, they gained redemption. Verse number 27 through 29. I'll just move this very quickly. Watch this. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. We've already seen his family was that way, but he was that way too. He endured. Listen to this. This is the only possible way for us to endure. Because I know, especially piggybacking on our conversations this morning. Look, man, there's a fatigue, there's an exhaustion, there's a there's an exasperation of how can I continue? Well. He forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, but he endured as seeing him who's invisible. The ability to see that Christ, while we will struggle and strive all the days of our lives to, in ever-increasing, very slow detail, instantiate better. We pray, Lord, your kingdom come on earth Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If Jesus is teaching us pray, what that means is, God, we want it the way it is up there. We want you to bring it down here. That's what we're praying for. And look, if He's telling us and commanding us to pray that, then most certainly He's calling us to instantiate that. And so in this life we labor and we labor and we labor and we see gradual wins and sometimes great losses and wins and losses and we trust that indeed over time, over the long trajectory of our life, we see little parts. But remember verse 13, all these died in faith not really receiving the promise. That means knowing full well that it won't come to full instantiation in our life this side of heaven. But we live and we strive and we struggle as seeing him who is invisible. We look to that reward. By faith, listen to this He keeps the Passover and he sprinkles the blood. Listen, there's something prophetic and foreshadowing that Moses is now a part of through the blood of a lamb. Sound familiar? Through the blood of a lamb, God will bring rescue and redemption to his people and take that blood and cover the doorpost of the home. And when the death angel comes to claim, he will pass over those who are covered by the blood. Sound familiar? Oh, how Moses in this act is trusting and proclaiming a future lamb and a future blood who would redeem to the nth degree, who would redeem and restore all things through His blood. By faith He kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, lest He who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. Verse 29, by faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, would drown. It wasn't a magic trick. It was a God trick that God did for His people that trusted Him and no one else. As I get older. More. I just want. That kind of faith. The ability. To stand where he stood. And to do what he does. To be about what he's about. As we grow up. May we become like little children. Father. Help us. Be faithful to you. Set our eyes and our hearts and our minds on your kingdom and how we pray. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray for that and we Ask, Father, that you'd help us to live for that. We love you, knowing it's because you first loved us. Thank you. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.